Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Ankler Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter here at the Ankler uh, here in New York City on the morning of uh, Friday, May 19th. Joining me, as always, are Richard Rushfield and Elaine Lowe. Elaine, freshly back in L.A. after a whirlwind Upfronts trip. Uh, did you eat better at CinemaCon or Upfronts, Elaine? What was, uh, you know, you've had two big trips here in the past few weeks. Well, given that my diet at CinemaCon was 80% candy from the trade show floor, I'm going to say New York. I'm going to say New York. <laughs> Certainly. Well, yeah, this is, you know, those donut holes at WBD, you know, you got to be careful. But, but you did eat, though, right? Because some of those days I've gone to those conferences where you're like, I literally had coffee and a free bagel, and that was my day, my diet today. Oh, there was one day, I think it might have been Disney's day, where I, my first real meal of the day literally came at 11.30 p.m. because I'd been subsisting <laughs> on granola bars and coffee all day. <laughs> that stuff would you're, you're jetting around New York City and you, uh, yeah, just have those finger foods around you. And like, I had no actual meal today. Hey, just uh, trying to save the ankler some money, man. That's exactly <laughs> right. Richard, she's on the case, Richard. Don't worry about it. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Um, and remember, of course, to uh, first follow the Ankler uh, on all social platforms at the Ankler. And of course, you can subscribe and we encourage you to do so uh, to the Ankler um, at theankler.com. And get the full suite of newsletters and podcasts. Uh, and of course, Elaine was jetting around New York for uh, the Anglers Strike Guys newsletter, which is totally free. And that uh, includes her daily roundup of strike news, strike negotiations, as well as the uh, uh, the posts from the larger Ankler team there. You can get that at strikegeist.com. Um, so starting with the upfront here, Elaine, you know, so essentially it was the news and sports upfront. I think we'll start with the, the business side of it first. Um, what was your general takeaway from uh, three or three days of nonstop presentations? Yeah, look, this is a weird first upfront to go to, right? Like in my last four plus years of covering TV and film, I have actually never been to an upfront. And by all accounts, this was not the norm. There was no Jimmy Kimmel. There were no big stars. There was so much focus on unscripted. You would have thought that Disney did not have a scripted business an hour into that presentation because they bombarded you with sports, which I mean, I understand that obviously sports is generally a big part of their presentation. But the way all three or four days of those upfronts went, it was just sports, sports, news, news, reality programming. Um, obviously, uh, sort of the elephant in the room being the writer strike, which some address to larger degrees than others. Yeah. And it was uh, just I was at as that dizzy next to you. And I, I can account for your uh, glazed overlook by about the 30 minute mark <laughs> when the fourth athlete came out to do a speech and then sportscasters. And uh, I could just see the the look in your eye. Just really kind of who is this? Who is this? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good to see you, Elaine, but it was definitely, yeah, we, we definitely uh, lost out on our first big upfront together <laughs> for sure. Uh, but it was kind of funny to see, you know, Monday, NBC, you know, and, and, and CBS certainly were uh, announced their schedules, which had scripted shows in it. Then we went to Fox, which was like hard pass on announcing a schedule. And then ABC by Wednesday, we were like, no scripted, but scripted. We don't have any scripted shows. You know, yep. it's amazing. Some Abbott how, elementary reruns. That's it. Yeah. That was the highlight of scripted. So it's amazing in a three day period, how that went. Uh, did you enjoy your Netflix upfront from your hotel room? Uh, how did that go? Well, when I was finally invited to go, yes, very much so. At 5.02, two minutes after the presentation started, there was a just a weird little kerfuffle where a lot of reporters just weren't getting the link mm. or getting the invite, and they were mm. only inviting one person per outlet. Never mind that. I, I don't know how that impacts their virtual real estate to do so. Exactly. Uh, at, at a then, streaming company? Yeah, at a streaming company. And honestly, the presentation was very polished. It's 
honestly, some might have said a little bit of a snooze, um, but it's it was very polished and, uh, you know, it was kind of like their pre-taped earnings calls. Uh, what did you think, Sean? Yeah. Oh, I, I left that to you. Uh, I just read the coverage of it. Uh, I mean, I was, you know, I did a piece in the wake up the, 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 the day after just, you know, Netflix, it's like, Netflix, come on. You're the one service who kind of isn't cute with your subscriber and revenue numbers. They actually give a, give a great deal of clarity into how many subscribers they have in different parts of the world and how much money they make from each each sector of the world. And these numbers coming out of the ad tier are smoke and mirrors. And I'm like, all right. But they using... gave a number, which is more which than is no, that. So they said it was 5 million monthly users of the ad tier. Users, not subscribers. No, it's in 12 countries. There's no clarity as to where they are. Uh, There's a report in the journal from uh, setting antenna data that there was 930,000, I think, uh, paying ad tier subscribers in the US as of March. Uh, But again, that's third party data. Mm-hmm. You know, no revenue number. Uh, they gave them, you know, a median age. You know, which I, I'm, I imagine you could set your own age on your Netflix account. So take that, you know, take that as you will. Um, I think it's it was going to be the big struggle for them, though, right? Like figuring out how much data to give away to advertisers because that's eventually going to leak to the press, and that's the thing that they've been so protective of, are very transparent of inside, but are so protective of on the outside. Sorry, Richard. Yeah. No, I was giving uh, giving one number uh, with absolutely no context around it at all is uh, brings me back to the classic era of uh, Netflix uh, boosterism and and hype, where it's you know eighty seven percent of American households watch Bird Box tonight, or right uh, some you know some random number like that, and and everyone would grab it and say Bird Box is bigger than Avengers. It's uh, what it did. Um, but, uh, yeah, my ankler rule number, uh, 16, I think it is, (laughs) is that if people have good, uh, if people have good numbers, they find a way to make sure you hear them. Richard, where do I get a hold of a copy of this rule book, by the way? (laughs) Someone, someone, someone who asked me about the, uh, about the, the numbers. And I had to admit that, uh, that, that I haven't actually, compiled them and uh they're there so i if you ask me what's number 14 i i am not sure i could give you an answer for that <laughs> some flexibility there road memorization think, okay uh, yeah we'll have to get a, <laughs> put it on a t-shirt front and back someday richard i think and uh wear, wear it around uh cinemacon next year um but you know otherwise so anyway if you want to i can i kind of broke down the double speak of netflix in in the wake up post you can check that out at the um but yeah i agree richard if you have a number you want the clarity on you give it if you do not you put out a number that sounds impressive but but the stock was up nine percent elaine so it triggers the retail and you know uh stock so it does have the effect but again it's that that headline of you know disney subscribers beat netflix i'm like that's not how that that's not what that means but you know Mm -hmm. the headline gets out there so that, that falls in that category for me and then you had youtube out there uh which i don't think you attended elaine is that okay no sir no, sir. I hadn't had, had enough of your uh, your upfronts by that point, but <laughs> their main thing, uh, you know, they're counting on Mr. Beast to convince a bunch of 22-year-olds to pay $350 to uh, watch NFL out-of-market football games this fall, I think, is the, the main headline that I was, you know, taking from that. So they spent a lot of money on uh, NFL Sunday ticket, and we'll see how much they're going to make back charging that kind of price up to $500 for a season. Uh, anyway, um, so outside the upfront, Elaine, uh, what's, you know, so you've had a week, kind of a full week in of LA full of uh, strike lines and you had a 
pretty full week of New York strike line. So, you know, what's your takeaway at this point? Uh, give me your Google Maps tracking device data, you know, fill, fill in the blanks here for us. I was interviewing folks at the picket lines outside of NBCU and Disney and Warner Brothers and uh, spirits are still high in week three. And in New York, things are like very, very, very strident group, very, very gung ho, lots of energy, very good organization. It's just a different vibe from L.A. Uh, But the thing I thought was really interesting is that there are so many non Hollywood unions that were joining them out on the picket lines. Like there was a CUNY students and teachers uh, union that was out there. Um, you know, other other unions that were not Teamsters or IA or SAG or anything entertainment related. So um, and I know that's the case also in, in some other parts of the city, like in Chicago, where the I believe the teachers union had joined them. So, um, you know, again, when we sort of talk about the 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 narrative of um, how people feel about labor and how people feel about collective bargaining, I, I think I think there's it's something interesting there, because by all accounts, the folks that I talked to last who were there last time around 15 years ago say that there wasn't even as much solidarity from the other Hollywood unions, let alone folks in other industries. But uh, back to Elaine, like, you know, back to New York and L.A., and I think what's an effective Richard, what's an effective picket? You know, what hurts the studio stopping product money? Like, let's let's, you know, as much as it's annoying to have to go to your job, you know, or be hearing honking enough all day. But, you know, shutting down shows is effective picketing. And in New York, Elaine, that's what we, you know, but they're not picketing as far as I know at 30 Rock or outside Sony or outside the Disney corporate offices. They're picketing the productions. They're doing both. Yeah. Oh, they are. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like even they were pair, they were picketing outside of Paramount, even though there wasn't an upfront. So they are still picketing outside They're of still doing offices, this. but also okay. trying to shut down productions. Yeah. But you just feel like it's definitely, or at least maybe it's what I, the coverage, at least of what I see is, you know, mostly about that. And, you know, yeah, I yeah. haven't seen pictures of the, <laughs> of the stuff outside the corporate headquarters or whether it's there or not, where LA is certainly in rightfully, I mean, like the studios are based there. There's much more to, you know, this, it's a very limited presence here in New York. Um, but that seems to me like the organization, like, cause that's, what's going to, that's, what's going to hurt. And that's what stops, you know, I mean, the, the in Chicago, the shy would, it was shut down. Like there's still, we're, we're not doing it, you know, uh, there's not that much production in Chicago, but that was the one. And that was, that's to me is very effective in sending a message. And how do you focus your picketing efforts, you know, over abroad, sing along with the newsies, or do you do, Hey, why don't you go to this set? Why don't you go to this set? And you shut down 10 sets in a day that. Maybe, I don't know, as as a tactic, is interesting to think about. Well, where it would really hurt, obviously, is uh, when you look at the stock prices and how much of a pullback can you create when you create this massive disruption in production. And I think that's where uh, part of the goal is, right? And and obviously, Wall Street is forward-looking and has different priorities than the writers and even the studios when they're looking ahead quarter to quarter. Um, so I think that's uh, that, that, that'll be an interesting one to watch. Yeah. It's the, it's the bottom line. Um, you know, elsewhere, the, you know, the DGA and AMPTP are still negotiating, but the media blackout seems to be pretty uh, strong. Elaine, which I haven't seen anything. I don't think either of you have, uh, is that right? Elaine? Uh, yeah. Okay. Nothing on that end. Um, but Richard SAG-AFTRA, uh, leadership came out here this week, uh, yeah. putting a proving getting together to, uh, you know, put a strike authorization vote to their members, uh, 170,000 ish deep, um, which I'm guessing will come back. Yay. But, uh, what was your, what was your take on that? Yeah. It was a surprise to people that, uh, that, that, that they are, um, they're, they're getting out in front there and, uh, and, and, and doing that if, if SAG actually walked out and and 
and and stayed out for for more than a, a token strike that would put this all in a, a very different place. Uh, you know, I think part of it, what part part of part of that vote, what I what I what I have been told is that um, they they're beginning their negotiations with a very short window before the uh, their contract expires. So if they want to get it off, they can't sit down for negotiations and then go back to their members and get an authorization vote in the course of that, because they have a matter of weeks. So this is, if they're going to have an authorization vote, they have to do it now before they're trying to begin. So it may be as much a procedural move as a, as a show of support, but uh, you know, it puts them in sort of leaning into the possibility of a strike. So to the extent uh, that's happened, that's, that's uh, a good thing uh, in support of the writers and support of, uh, mixing things up here but we'll see yeah and uh just the timing on that so that vote uh ends on june 5th the negotiations begin on june 7th as you said richard and then you know their deals up on june 30th so you're exactly right that window is uh relatively tight for negotiation not you know it's and you know they're really at the just at the at the the starting on there in terms of articulating right their issue what their issues is are what they want uh how they how how they the the fate of actors has changed like i mean they haven't they haven't begun uh step one on 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 doing all that so uh long way to go for for sag here still yep yep memorial day holiday in between so uh, in terms of messaging time so more to come there um but elaine apparently the tonys are gonna go on i think this wga said they're not gonna strike which presumably means that you know no, nobody's crossing a picket line if they attend uh but that is my understanding <laughs> we good i guess it's kind of like <laughs> where it's at right now i think that's where you get into that sort of thorny complication of what it means to support the arts while you're also trying to push forward a labor movement right yeah i mean the tony's i mean for the broadway it's like anybody there will tell you this is our year like you know one day is how much how important it is it's not just oh, absolutely you know, i took myself to see a play while i was in new york and yeah oh. mm-hmm. and <laughs> just you, you put it you fit in a play like wow I, you really I had a trip here <laughs> And ha- hanging in the background be- behind that is uh, is the next big question down the road, the question of the, the Emmys uh, for them, mm. and which which has uh, some massive implications, uh, not not for Hollywood per se, not for the studios per se, but for the uh, for the uh, trade media, which right. uh, which Emmy Emmys uh, for your consideration spend, I, ne- I believe, is now bigger than Oscar uh, spending and um probably yeah is the basis the basis of which the trade me the 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 trade media survive so if the emmys were uh to be canceled um it might hurt the tv industry a a little bit uh for the for the trade publications that's a that's a dagger in the heart so um they're watching that carefully yeah, it's a, it's a long way to the Oscar season, Richard. Uh, so uh, from then on, so um, not that long. <laughs> they're they're <laughs> they up already. <laughs> they've had declared the dates. I've been putting that in the wake up, but I'm like, all right, I'm gonna mention this once, and I'm not coming back to this for four more months. So don't give me anything <laughs> else to write here. My warning to. <laughs> um but yeah i mean yeah, the show itself was uh, was it six million viewers like you know last year or something it's not uh, yeah, not gonna be hurting on an abc or whoever has it this year that uh you know from that point of view but the trades is a very good very good point richard so elsewhere in the business uh you know elaine we have 
3,000 laughs at Disney still looming here this month, presumably, right? And it's May 19th, which means this is all going to be happening soon. I cannot imagine that morale is very high right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, my impression at least was, you know, kind of before Memorial Day, which will be next Friday. So and now that upfronts are done, earnings season is, you know, almost or pretty much done here. Um, You know, waiting, I'd say waiting for the shooter drop, but that's not even that's an analogy worth, you know, worth that description because it is just, you know, I can I can only imagine it. It's it's a a tough atmosphere to do business in. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, again, if anybody knows anything or wants to share anything with us, it's tips at the angler dot com. There you go uh, for strike or uh, or otherwise in all these uh, situations. So definitely email us there. Um, otherwise, at Disney, you know, they announced this their news broke this morning again that they're pulling more stuff from Disney Plus, essentially all the shows they canceled. That were you know kind of one and one or two seasons and done for Disney original content. Um, you know, they have. 1.5 billion to 1.8 billion dollars worth of content to find here so they're they're moving right along Elaine at this point in their their campaign more out of the Zaz playbook if we want to credit him with that in terms of pulling shows <laughs> from the streaming services which I imagine can't be making some creators happy yeah yeah uh, yeah he's pulling out and we'll see where else they maybe they'll sell them somewhere else who knows and uh you know there's a little bit of news out of Netflix uh, you know trimming about 300 million dollars that report in the journal as well um that not a, you know they spend seventeen billion dollars a year. It's not a major uh, percentage, but you know they're looking at they're looking at the books, Elaine. It sounds like to some degree. Yeah, everybody's still in austerity mode. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And this also touches on a piece from ESG this week that Richard, I want to kind of get your thoughts on a bit here. And there's a quote in there saying, you know, in terms of how the WGA negotiates, there's been a lot of money in terms being thrown out this week, which I'll get to in a moment. But you know. Uh, said from ESG's piece, you know, uh, the, the WGA seems to negotiate based on the past five years, not predicting the next 10 years uh, in terms of how the industry goes. And, uh, you know, the WGA put a, a statement out this week saying their their asks essentially amount to a, an, a total of $343 million a year in additional, you know, spend from the studios. They didn't really qualify that uh in terms of breaking that number down too much in terms of their requests um again it's their numbers that wasn't the studio so it was a little little bit out there but you know this notion that i mean obviously putting executive paychecks aside which those posters are you know are they are that's fine but you probably can also put some showrunner deal quotes out there too about how much you know some of those deals were to you know on either side of it but this notion that there's so much money being made in and streaming and we're not getting any of it uh, is this you know <laughs> resonating in this age now with these other news coming out here at the studios or what's what, what i'm curious why we haven't really talked about this i'm curious what 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 goes through your mind when you see all this i mean it it you know you, you're looking at 300 uh million dollars uh broken down by eight studios is done right is uh 70 million know, a, a studio whatever it was or yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, a, a third of a marketing campaign for guardians of the galaxy or something so it's uh <laughs> right. uh three quarters of a football game richard uh, yeah. there you go so yeah. so when you it's not that much uh on the other hand you know i i couldn't go in and pitch a movie to Disney and say, listen, this movie's going to bomb and it's going to be a big drain, but uh, what's it to you? You got a lot of money, so just just make it anyway. Uh, things have right. to make sense on, on their own on their own merits to the studios. Uh, uh, you can't just argue, you you can afford it, why not? And, uh, you know, you get the sense that, you, you do get the sense, though, that um, they can afford it 
so that's not what this this is about really that that i, I had someone who had uh, uh has been on negotiating committees in the past who uh made the point to me like if this were just about money they would still be talking if we're right. just about the, the dollar amounts they would so that there's basic structural concepts here that that uh that they're hung up on and you know the 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 writers guild about the list of the 22 issues that they're negotiating on so uh, you can take your pick on which one you think, which ones you think they're stuck up on, uh, but but I, I I do think it it isn't it. This is this is much more about how the the relationship between studios and their and their different labor organizations, and you know the fact that the streamers are uh, very uncomfortable having you know they they don't like to have any of that dictated to them by by. Uh, or by organized groups and they, and uh, that there's basic, basic differences there. And it's not just the dollar amount. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And that's exactly, you know, where do you start? There's a lot, there's two issues with the writers, Richard, or two bigger ones. And, you know, one is the money factor for residuals and international things along those lines, which you said, or, you know, we want six percent. We're giving you three. You know, it's it'll you know go back and forth, and yeah, that'll if, resolve if that itself. Were, if, if that were it, they would sit down and you know they come to agreement at at five yeah. or whatever. So, but it, then there's the larger writers' room issue, which you know is is not a you know it's a money issue to a degree, but it's really more of a principle you know issue, right, Richard? But that's you know so it's almost, it's almost two different negotiations yeah, even, in a sense, right? Yeah, even that. I mean. Even that is does does not cost as they say doesn't cost the studios a lot of money. So if mm. it's if it's, it's if it's something cheap for them and they wanted to do it, they they would do it. Uh, so there's you you assume they have uh, they have reasons for not wanting to do it and uh, um, and you know see we don't know which are the issues that they're hung up on. It's hard to it's hard to speculate too deeply on that, but uh, but. I, I I agree. It's not just about the money here. Yeah. And uh, certainly with the DGA, maybe a little bit more cut and dry on that, Richard. Um, and SAG, we don't, you know, we haven't seen the, a list yet from them uh, on that, but. Um, yeah. I mean, that, and that's a, the, the, the DGA has a, has, has a really different issue set uh, going into this. The DGA are, as they've, they've said, are, are very, uh, Concerned with foreign residuals and foreign uh, and and foreign labor uh, agreements, so so will they be more open? So will the studios uh, sensing this opportunity to split the split the uh, the organizations be more open to uh, granting those sorts of concessions with with the DGA, who they have a more uh, collegial relationship with than than with the writers is a question. Yeah. But Elaine, this notion of content spend has come up a bit, and I wrote another piece uh, related to that as well as as well as ESG did uh, different kind of sides of it. But this notion that you know, whatever, whenever this deal gets done, and what we, the world would come back to is going to be different in terms of the volume and what we're looking at here. You know, with the, I mentioned the Disney write-offs, the, the Zaz, the write-offs. This is all you know, the Paramount. You know, this eight billion dollars being. That's not going to be spent anymore on whether that's licensing or production of, of essentially TV series for the most part. So, what was your? Did you have any? You know, I was kind of curious where, where your heads on on that at this point, and has that reality maybe set in with people or not? Yeah, there's. We've talked about this before, right? The 
overspend of the last couple of years, right. the overcommissioning during the pandemic, and obviously not even just the pandemic, but since we talked about this last week when Landgraf was talking about peak TV in 2015, like this trajectory of content spend, this buildup has been happening for years and years now. And, uh, you know, people have settled into the new normal when these companies were just throwing money down content pipelines. And I think there's going to be uh, a, there's going to have to be a correction and expectation if you are a working person in this industry who has largely come up in this in the last eight to 10 years uh, because this wasn't the norm before. And so, yeah, it's just it's just this sense that like structurally something is off on so many levels. Right. And it's like, where do we even begin to rebuild the foundation of that in a way that makes sense for everybody in a way that allows everybody to still uh, pursue the creative things that they're they're pursuing and to make good TV and movies in, in a way that creates a, a sustainable living for for the folks in the industry. Yeah, and yes, she had a great chart in there in his piece too about writer, writers guild. You know how much money writers are making over the past few years, and that was and there was a pretty big uh, you know up arc uh, since say 2017. You know, essentially the start of the streaming boom. So you could just see it. You know, and all these charts of just how much that bubble not just manifested in the bottom lines at the studios, which they're now correcting, but that has a trickle down effect. So if they're not going to spend that, then that writers we don't need as many writers, you don't need as many actors, and so forth, and. I particularly focused on the cable bundle this week. There was a pretty great, great quote from the president of Charter Communications, which is the number two cable company, uh, cable TV provider in the country with Comcast, who together provide about 40% of the cable bundle. Uh, Brian Roberts, the head of Comcast, said the Moffat Nathanson conference, he's indifferent to the, to the cable TV business. Not great. And you know, the, this president and CEO of Charter came out. Uh, we have the clip we'll play it here. Well, look, let, let's start with uh, what, ha what really happened, which is I think the programmers did their work well. They managed to kill their own golden goose. And they did that by continuing to take rates for a decade or decades above CPI and then bundling it together with additional content that particular customers didn't want to see and shoving it down their throat to have it cost more money. But essentially lambasting uh the greediness of studios saying you guys literally said you, you know they killed their own golden goose and that you know you asked for too many a rate increases uh you jammed you know too much programming down essentially it's down the throat of the, con the consumer i think was the exact quote but it's uh it's along those lines and i did a whole wrap up uh today and the wake up just like about the you know the the bundle that has held the studios together the revenue together for the studios for the past 30 years is going through a fundamental change right now the, you know the movies are movies are great but what studios are built on is cable revenue they've had you know it was the best deal you know it's the best thing that ever will have probably been created in the history of business models in the media business where as that bundle grew which it grew until 20 you know it peaked in about 2010 2011 somewhere around there as that grew, you got paid more, whether people watched your product or not, people paid for it without, you know, uh, having to sign up for it, advertising, et cetera, Elaine. And now you've completely changed consumer expectations, right? Because effectively yep. what we're seeing is the shift from the cable bundle from linear to a digital version of that. But everybody's expectations have changed so severely that people will refuse to pay the hundred plus dollars a month for it that they used to, even though effectively if you are a person who subscribes to 
five different services. And I think the the average right now, I think, is somewhere between three and five services per household. You, yeah. you are paying something uh, akin to it, not quite as much as a cable bundle before, but something akin to it. Um, but people's general expectations are like, no, I, I'm going to pay nine bucks a month for this thing. I'm not going to pay a hundred bucks a month. And so I think it's there's there's a sense that there needs to be a, a correction in consumer expectation as well. Yeah, but it's a correction in revenue with the studios where, you know, you're just not going to, it's going to be a change in how money comes in and the streaming. They were the ones who set this expectation, right? <laughs> exactly. No, self, as that's what the charter, the head of the charter said, this is self-inflicted. This isn't yeah. like this happened to you. This is the choice. Everybody took four or five years to chase Netflix, then realized eh, this isn't a good idea. Who thought of this? And now <laughs> we're in this kind of like, well, we guess we got to write all that content off. And you're in a state where the bundle has shrunk that much more, you know, over a five-year period, you can't go back to the thing you were doing because that revenue isn't the same anymore. Uh, you know, all you can do is charge more for ad rates and jack up the prices, which to your point, Elaine, you hit that, that point with consumers, which you've already hit. We're like, I'm not paying that much anymore. And what are you left with? You know, that's kind of, uh, kind of where the, I don't know, it's a very much a reflection point right about now. And I think and add any larger economy and interest rates, things like that, that aren't helping that they weren't counting on either. And it's a little, uh, not I mean, a dire, but it, it's, uh, sort of I mean, basically question. what the industry has done is they've tried to move a house, right? Like they <laughs> right. had a house that yeah, was exactly. Built, and then they were like, no, we have to move this house to a different land. Let's yeah. slowly take apart this house and then let's have people buy parts of this house. Uh, but if you want the whole house again, it's going to be very difficult to put back together on this new land. And That's a good I, analogy. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Oh and, <laughs> and, you know, as I brought the numbers down today, but, you know, the Comcast lost 12% of the cable bundle in a year, DirecTV 11%, Dish is uh, 14%, Charter 5%. That's in one year's difference of the, you know, of, of subscribers. And, uh, you know, the basic numbers for how much these the studios rely on the cable bundle. It's 49% of Warner Brothers Discovery's revenue comes from the cable bundle via advertising and, you know, affiliate fees that they get for carriage. You know, Paramount's was about, this is global, but, you know, close to 60%. You know, uh, NBCU as a division, not the theme parks, is about 48%. You know, this isn't just like a 30% part of the business, which would still be big. This is half the revenue that the company operates on is decline is in secular decline. And it's like, all right. And streaming, as we know, they're racing to try and make this, you know, to again, move I mean, that the house. Core, the the streaming core, exactly. Like the core part of that cable bundle too, from discovery's end, right. Is like all of those fun ambient viewing channels, the HGTVs and the food networks, that's all in discovery plus for what five bucks a month. And it's like, let's compare the economics of having those in the bundle versus having those at five bucks a month where you have to opt into it. Exactly. Where ESPN, which has got a lot of headlines this week too, about you want to know how much ESPN is going to, you know, you, the average cable subscriber pays about $9 and 50 cents a month for ESPN, whether they watch it or not. So there's your starting point, Elaine. That's not with advertising revenue. That's not whatever. So when you unbundle that, you know, what they're going to have to charge to watch ESPN is going to be, you know, I think it's, I've seen numbers here for about $30, whatever, you know, we see the regional sports networks, what they're charging to watch, you know, one team for a season is 25 to $30, you know, at least here in New York city. So Again, that's you know, it's unfathomable to me because, as you know, Sean, having the <laughs> Disney up front with me, you know, my deep commitment to sports, <laughs> they will not get you on that one. No, Richard, I doubt it either. Uh, how long do you give the cable bundle, Richard? What are you a bundle uh purist? What, what, what is your observational take here? 
I mean, it, uh, it, this the the idea. It was it was great that to have to get people to pay for things that uh, that they don't use. That's a that's that's a great business to be in. Um, but it it does seem to be going away. So uh, figure out the next thing and 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 get to it as quickly as possible and figure out what size business that is um, because it's that uh, uh, that. That that will slowly be uh, or quickly be uh, reduced to reduced to its essential core here. Did you see though that uh, David Zaslav, I believe, said this week he he called for the uh, the streaming services to create a new bundle and to to sell themselves together in a group. So uh, so so maybe that will that that will come up. And I you know there there's something to that. I think I I, I think if you know you just tell people fifty dollars a month and you get all of them. Uh, the uh the the uh the hassle of figuring out which show at which which show this is on and starting the subscription and ending the other one is uh a lot of people just say give me a price for everything all um, right adventures assemble uh, <laughs> i went was going more anchorman with news team assemble <laughs> lane that was really what i was picturing with zaslav and is it bringing out a, a big shelf or a horn and uh kind of <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah richard the thinking there certainly would be you know you get a you get a bundle you get a deal so every network or every streamer gets a little less but it reduces churn and it reduces the you know the, what we call consumer acquisition called the marketing spend so you're not so you're making more money because you're not spending as much to acquire new consumers and you're yeah. keeping you know together more is why that what the incentive is there but as he said and we're gonna do it somebody else will yeah and you know that you're going to uh get get this money whether people watch you this month or not and you're not yep. you 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 add predictability to the business which yep. uh which is what's lost you know i i, I and i think that's i want to come up with an overarching theme for this week um <laughs> you know you look at the writers predictability is worth a lot in terms of uh in in terms of money it's like in your personal life and knowing how much money you're going to have coming and when it's coming um you know that, that that that's worth a good percentage of the actual money. The, the, the um and and for the writers, even if even if their uh, earning power has stayed precisely even or or increased, the predictability has has uh, has been exploded, and that's you know, that 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 creates a feeling of instability. What uh and that 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 that's a, that's a hard way to live for anybody, and it's the. And and that's what uh, the losing the cable bundle is too. They the the studios are, are losing their predictable, dependable income that rolls in, uh, whether their shows are a hit or not. It's uh, so it's it, it it's something I think everyone's trying to build back into the system. And and that's the question of this age: whether we get to have predictability anywhere anymore. Yeah, the, the search for predictability, Richard. That's, uh, yeah. that's a very, very good, very good observation. The, the, the two sides are actually closer in some regards than, uh, <laughs> than yeah, you would they, kind of imagine, right? Dealing with the uh, opposite sides of the same, uh, the the same wrecking ball. That's uh, that's gone through everything. So yeah, same emotion. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, I think that uh, about wraps it up for this week. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the Ankler at theankler.com. Be sure to follow us. Uh, on the socials at the Ankler, and of course, subscribe to the Strike Geist newsletter at Strike Geist. That's G E I S T. Strikegeist.com. You can get Elaine's uh, daily coverage as well as the coverage from the whole Ankler team. Uh, I'll of course be wrapping up uh, the box office this weekend. We have Fast X in theaters. 
um, in my wake-up newsletter on Monday morning, breaking down all the numbers, um, which, again, you can get at theankler.com. Thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next week.